719. And now, here's your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your time. Welcome to Educate for Life Radio. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org. If you're concerned about your children having a strong faith, my website has all kinds of resources that you can help your kids engage in the kinds of questions that our our skeptical culture is uh, putting out there and help prepare them to be able to deal with a lot of the questions. It'll also be a big blessing to you, too, as a parent and uh, get you prepared to be able to walk with your kid through some of the difficult issues that that pop up in school and in college and so forth and so on. So uh, please check it out. That's educateforlife.org. My guest today is the apologetics lead for the Baptist General Convention of Texas. He's spoken and debated on uh, public universities and college campuses, debating the existence of God against atheists and agnostics and others. He holds an associate's degree in social science, a bachelor's degree in theology. He uh, has also has a certificate in apologetics from Biola University, and he's also currently enrolled at Dallas Baptist University. His name is Eric Hernandez, and you can check out all the information about him if you like the show today. You can check him out at erichernandezministries.com. You can also see and hear from him on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Eric Hernandez. Eric, thanks for being on the program today. Thanks. Uh, glad to be with you. Awesome. So, you know, I thought it was really interesting. You said that, um, you know, one of the things that you really like to talk about is the existence of the soul. And I think it'd be really cool for our listeners to hear a little bit of your testimony and how you got so interested in the soul and the existence of the spirit and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, freshman year of college, I uh, took my first philosophy class kind of as a blow-off class, so just, uh, you know, fill, fill up an elective, um, and uh, I really enjoyed it, uh, and I found out later that my professor was actually an atheist, but I didn't find that out till later, but I learned a lot in the class, and I was able to ask questions, which I, I appreciated because I would get in trouble in my youth group, got in trouble a couple times for asking questions, and I it was very discouraging to think, you know, to even at one point, you know, get to a position where I didn't want to invite anyone to my church because I felt like I would myself wasn't even welcome as a person who was uh, curious to ask questions. Oh, wow. Um, that's, so a, that's a real really, shame. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's definitely something I speak out against uh, these days. Um, so I wanted to take another class of philosophy because I was, I was hooked, so to speak. Um, and then everybody began to warn me that if I'm going to take another class, to not take Professor Pena's class, because if I took his class, I might lose my faith. And, you know, my thought was, well, sign me up. You know, I'm, I'm curious. I, I want to know what's true. And I knew that if Christianity was true, I needed to know why. But at the same time, I also figured that if it wasn't true, I still wanted and needed to know why. And perhaps this professor was a guy for the job. So <clears throat> to give you an example of what class was like for me, um, the pivotal moment, I would say, in my life, what really got me into this, and specifically in the soul, is this class where he walks in and he sits down and he says, now, religion wants us to believe in something like a soul, which is allegedly material. And within our soul, you have your minds, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. And then he reaches into his pocket and he pretends like he's pulling out like a pill. And he says, but if I'm holding in my fingers here an antidepressant pill, he said, how is it that this tiny pill, which is physical, if I took it, it could change the emotions and feelings and moods of my soul, which are allegedly immaterial? How can something that's tiny and physical have the power to affect the non-physical, like my soul? He said, because every time you look at the brain, you see our neurons firing, and every time you look at the body, 
you only see these base elements of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, but you never find anything like a salt. He said, how do we explain that? And he proceeded by saying, well, it's pretty simple, and I'll tell you how. The answer is simple. It's that there is no soul, there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no afterlife. We're just a physical brain and body, and we need to learn to live with this fact and get on with our lives and stop believing in these fairy tales. You know, classes miss, see you next week. Um, now, for me, being a freshman in college, not only had I never heard of or met anyone that didn't believe in the soul, I had never heard an objection given against it. And I would say for the first time in my life, here was an objection that I had encountered that, if true, would prove Christianity false. Because in the past, I'd hear, you know, complaints against the Bible or religious people. And I would think to myself, well, even if those objections or complaints are true, it wouldn't mean that God doesn't exist or that Christianity isn't true. But here I knew that Paul said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then our faith is in vain. Well, by the same token, if there's no soul, there can be no resurrection of the dead. And once again, Christianity would be false. So I was, I was in a bit of predicament. Um, never crossed my mind to, to go to my church and ask, <laughs> you know, for a solution to this because I really learned my lesson there. So it was then that I kind of figured, well, I can roll up my sleeves and, and dig into this stuff, or I can uh, just kind of ignore it and brush it under the rug. And that just wasn't my type of personality. I was a person who was curious and wanted uh, to learn and to find out answers to these kind of questions. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you said that um, right there, if, if the soul doesn't exist, then the resurrection's in vain. Why, why is the soul necessary for Jesus Christ to have resurrected? Well, I, not just Jesus Christ necessarily, but even us in particular. Um, I would say now the resurrection of Christ does lend credibility to the soul, but if all you are is a physical uh, brain and body, then there's then once it deteriorates and leaves, then there's no possibility of bringing you back. Now, there are some Christians who are physicalists, and I think there's a number of problems with that, but one of the main complaints against that is there's no uh, continuity of identity, and that's something that we can get into later now if you'd like, which would lend uh, credibility to the belief in the soul, namely the belief that if I remain the same person from one moment to the next, uh, then there has to be something about me that is more than just the physical, that transcends the physical, that would be able to ground my existence and identity throughout change and part replacement. Uh, okay, so, you know, I've actually heard Jehovah's Witnesses, um, do they land in the group of as physicalists? Because they say that... Um, that's, that's, go ahead. Yeah, they say that um, you don't actually... They they say basically you start off you you end up with a new body essentially you don't actually um, have a spirit that resurrects your your you have a, a whole new body but it's not um, and you, then you you potentially live in paradise on earth and so forth I just thought it was interesting just hearing what you were saying I was wondering if there was any connection there or if you know uh, yeah I'm, I'm I'm not sure what they would hold I know um, there's different positions there's like an annihilationist position as well that some may hold to that mm -hmm. um, but the, the point here, uh, and again, this would be already overlapping to the argument, that basically if, if I'm nothing more than a brain and body, then my existence and identity would be grounded in something physical. But here, And here's where the distinction, uh, and again, we're, we're kind of jumping ahead, which is fine, uh, sure. because this applies in so many different areas. But when you look at purely physical objects that I would call an aggregate, which would be a collection of separable parts held together in a certain structure, the, the nature of these things is such that if you change their structure or their parts, you will literally change their identity and what they are. So, for example, if I take a tricycle 
and I remove one of its wheels, it is no longer a tricycle, but now it's a bicycle, which means it would be appropriate to say that a tricycle ceased to exist and a bicycle came to be. Now, this is because for purely physical objects, for aggregates, their existence and identity is grounded in their parts and in their structure. Now, if that's the case, if I am nothing more than a purely physical object, then the same would apply to me, namely that my existence and identity is necessarily grounded in my parts and its structure. So the moment you begin to change or rearrange the parts, you begin to change me, and I am no longer in a literal metaphysical sense the same person from one moment to the next. But if I am the same person from one moment to the next, then it follows that my existence and identity cannot be granted as something physical, but must be granted as something transcendent, namely the soul. Mm. But couldn't somebody say that uh, God could potentially resurrect somebody um, and just keep all their physical parts the same, and therefore they don't they they don't actually change; they just resurrect? Well, yeah, that, that would kind of beg the question um, because it, I would I would say it doesn't matter if my parts stay the same or not. Because if I am not identical to my parts, then you can change me with a number of different parts, and I would still be me because I'm not identical. Neither is, are the existence of my parts necessary for me to exist. Mm. Oh, okay. I'm not sure I fully understood what you were saying there. Uh, I'm just saying, so uh, you said that some Christians are actually physicalists. Um, how, do they, mm-hmm. how, how do they respond to the, the, what you just posed, the fact that, okay, if there's not something that transcends the physical, then you're actually, um, it's actually not you that would be resurrected. Would they say that, no, it, it is still you? Or would they just agree with you that, no, I guess it's not you then that resurrects? Well, well I'd say they'd have to disagree with me in order for the uh, Christian position to be true, because if, <laughs> if, I, if I'm destroyed and I no longer exist, what do I care that someone who's a lookalike that looks just like me and talks just like me and thinks just like me exists in heaven if it's not me. I, I could care less. <laughs> you know, the real question is, am I going to be in heaven? Not as someone who looks like me is going to be in heaven. Um, so they would have to say that it is the same person, but then they would have to ground how that identity through change takes place or how that continuity is possible if a person is merely reducible to nothing more than their brain and body, uh, their chemical makeup and their parts. Okay. Okay. Very good. So my guest today, if you're listening, is Eric Hernandez, and um, you can check him out, erichernandezministries.com, and he's done a lot of study on the soul and uh, its existence. And so this is a really, it's actually a very significant subject because uh, the Bible talks a lot about the soul, that we are more than our body, and so we want to get a better grip on this. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things. Last week when I was talking with Greg Kokel, um, I I, uh, played the atheist with Greg Kokel, and he Push back again. So, in our second segment, I'm going to take the opportunity to argue that there is no soul, there is no such thing as the spirit. We are a purely physical being, and Eric Hernandez is going to respond to um, my claims uh, as I uh, hold this uh, different position. So, stay with us. We're going to be right back, and uh, we're going to continue this discussion with Eric Hernandez. Hi, 
This is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. If you need to buy an affordable, reliable used car, truck, or even an enclosed trailer, call Conover Tires Wheels and Service in Oceanside. For tires and car repairs you can trust, call Dan Conover and his team at 760-439-1631. Honesty, integrity, and quality service. They're ASE, BBB, and NAPA certified. And they're proud supporters of Educate for Life. Learn more at ConoverTires.com. Check out their great reviews, 760-439-1631. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-222-0760. Thanks for being with us today. This is Kevin Conover. You're on Educate for Life Radio. We're down here in Southern California on FM 106.1 in North County, K-Praise, and AM 1210. And then we're also, of course, all over the web um, on social media, on YouTube, Facebook. And so you can check out all kinds of shows that we have. We have some fantastic shows with uh, Jay Warner Wallace, Cold Case Detective. Also I've interviewed Greg Kokel just a, a week ago. We're going to have Natasha Crane coming up in a few weeks. And uh, she talks about the importance and uh, the methods for talking to your children about Jesus What's important to talk about? My guest today is Eric Hernandez, erichernandezministries.com. You can check him out on YouTube also. And he's really an expert in the soul. And uh, we're going to take this segment real quick here to push back a little bit on um, his argument for the existence of the soul. But before we do, uh, Eric, can you, just for our listeners, define the terms? What are the important terms in this discussion? And uh, give us, uh, lay out a, a brief case for the existence of the soul. Uh, sure. And, and I wouldn't be so pretentious to call myself an expert, but I do appreciate the compliment. <laughs> um, so so um, the soul would, we will define as a, an immaterial substance that animates the body, and I would even say gives rise or form to the body. Um, so I'm what you call a substance dualist. Um, so the soul primarily we can define as an immaterial substance, contains consciousness, animates the body. Now, when I argue for the soul, there's basically two points that I hit at. The first point would be that um, consciousness is not physical. Uh, and then from there, I demonstrate that I am more than a brain and body, and then that therefore I am a soul. Now, the reason this is important is because when you look at consciousness, there are certain properties that, that we can attribute to consciousness and certain properties that we can attribute to something physical. To understand all these arguments, it's really important to understand what we call for short Leibniz's law of identity. According to Leibniz's law of identity, if <laughs> A is the same thing as B, then whatever's true of A is the same thing is going to be true of B because they're the, they're the same thing and we're just using two different names. So, for example, if your guest today on the show uh, 
is the same person as Eric Hernandez, or rather is identical to Eric Hernandez, which by identity we mean literally the same thing, then whatever is true of your guest is going to be true of Eric Hernandez because we're the same person and we're just using two different references or titles to talk about the same thing. But in principle, if I could hypothetically find something true of one that's not true of the other, then they're not the same person. The example I often like to give is suppose I walk into a lab and I see two bottles of clear fluid and I want to ask myself, are they the same substance? One label says water and the other one says chemical X, but let's say it's ripped off so I can't tell. Well, I see that they're both clear fluids and I think maybe they are the same substance because they both have the same property of being a clear fluid. But then when I turn over the chemical X, I see on the back it says caution flammable. And I think to myself, ah, well, I know that water's not flammable, which means even if I don't know what chemical X is, at the very least, I know that they cannot be the same substance because I have just found something true of one that's not true of the other. Now, with that line of thinking, and again, just trying to condense it here, if what my professor was saying was true that I shared earlier in the first segment, he would have to assume that the mind is nothing more than the brain. So, in other words, if consciousness exists and physicalism is true and there is no soul, then the mind would be nothing more than the brain and in the same way would just be using two different titles to talk about the same thing, something physical. However, if the mind is the same thing as the brain, then whatever is true of the mind must necessarily be true of the brain and vice versa. But we know it's not true and it's easy to give examples. So, for example, uh, my thoughts. My thoughts can possess the property of being true or false but no region of my brain is true or false. It doesn't make sense to say that the right part of my brain is true and the left is false. So already we see that my thoughts and the properties of my brain um, have different, they share different uh, characteristics. Uh, my brain can weigh three pounds. And while we may be having heavy thoughts, we're not gonna go by neck braces after this interview because of the heavy thoughts we've had because our thoughts don't weigh something like three pounds. Um, one last one, my brain can be seven inches long, but the smell of a rose or the taste of a banana, which is in my mind, is not seven inches long. Um, we can give a dozen more examples, but the point is pretty simple, and namely is that if all the properties of the brain are physical and all the properties of the mind are not physical, then it follows that if consciousness exists, and if you're conscious, then your consciousness cannot be something physical, and if it's not physical, then physicalism can't be true. Hmm. Now, is, should I keep going, or do you want to push back on that? <laughs> That's a lot to take in. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, so I'll push back a little bit. Um, sure. so, so uh, regarding the law of identity, let's say I, I agree that, uh, the thoughts that you have and your brain are not the same thing. And I just say, well, I don't know what the thoughts are. I don't have a definition for that. Um, but that doesn't mean that the soul exists. So, uh, okay. Maybe I don't fully understand how abstract thoughts work, but that doesn't mean that there's a soul necessarily as you're explaining it. So, and what I mean by that is uh, some sort of a uh, immaterial force that is imposing its will on my physical body, causing it to move. Uh, that's not actually, um, that, that thing doesn't actually exist. How would you respond to that? Right. Well, I say a few things. I say first, if, if you grant that what I said so far was true, then I have to say then you have to give it physicalism because now you have something that exists that is not physical. Uh, the second thing I'd go on to say is, well, first of all, if you have these immaterial properties, these conscious states and conscious properties, then they would need to be possessed by something. Uh, J.P. Moreland, who's my favorite uh, philosopher and theologian, uh, he once said that thoughts have thinkers. So if there are thoughts, they must be grounded in a thinker. And if <laughs> it's the case that consciousness is not physical, then the subject which owns the mind that, is, that the mind is grounded in, 
I would argue, cannot be a physical entity. Okay, so you now, would need something to ground. Let sure. me let me stop you there for a second, just to see if. if so, um, for example, math is not physical. Math is abstract, right? But numbers mm -hmm. numbers exist independently of a person's mind, uh, and so therefore, something that is not physical, that's abstract, can exist independently of a person, and. Uh, therefore, uh, isn't it possible that you don't have to have, um, you don't have to have, you can have something that's non-physical, um, that exists independently of a person. So, so I can be an, I can, I don't have to be, um, a physicalist to still believe that there are things that are, exist abstractly, but that doesn't necessarily justify the existence of the soul. Yeah, and, and I'd say at that point, it's, it's disanalogous. And, and there's a lot that can be said there, because then we can even go into whether or not, you know, uh, these abstract objects actually exist, or if Platonism's true. But uh, to get more at the heart of, of the alleged objection here, I would say that this is different than thoughts. Uh, thoughts cannot exist without a thinker. I, I don't know what it means to say that there's a thought happening right now, but no one's thinking it. Um, a thought is grounded in a mind necessarily. So that's different than, than uh, something like numbers, where... Whether or not numbers exist, they would exist independent of a human being's uh, thought about them. However, if I cease to exist, it would make no sense to say that my thoughts exist and yet I don't. So my thoughts exist only when I'm thinking them so because they belong to me and they're necessarily grounded in me. So um, it, it, would be, it would be disanalogous there to, to try to um, okay, so it'd be the same thing as something. So what about like an animal? Do do anim are are animals just complex AI machines, or are they? Do they also have a soul and they think and so forth? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, they have a soul. If you read in Genesis, the Bible says that when God made the animals, He made nefesh creatures. He made soul creatures. Um, and uh, and maybe it might even help to to go on with the second point. So if we know that, because um, this would explain the animal thing too here, um, if Whenever there are properties that are instantiated in the world, it's important to also understand that properties don't just pop up in the world by themselves. They're always going to be grounded in or by something else. They're going to be owned by something. So when I'm driving on the freeway, I, I don't fear that I'm going to hit redness or brownness. And if anything, I'm going to be conscious of hitting something that possesses a property of being red, like a red car. So redness, if it's going to be instantiated in the world, is going to be possessed by something more basic than itself like a car. Now, when we look at uh, the, these mental properties, we know that they exist. And then the next question would be, okay, well then, what possesses these conscious states and properties? Well, I know without a doubt, at least one thing possesses mental states and properties, and that's me. I do. But then the question would become, what am I? Hence the second point, am I more than a brain and body? Now, if I am conscious and I possess mental states and properties, then we have to look at whether or not I am a purely physical object or if I'm something more like a soul. That's where we can get into the arguments such as, um, well, let's talk about uh, the one that we talked about, identity of change. If I'm a purely physical object, an aggregate, then I do not possess identity through change or part replacement. As I said earlier, when you look at aggregates, and you tell me how deep you want to go here, we can contrast the difference between an aggregate and something like a substance. A substance would be living things. Um, to, to get somewhat deeply metaphysical here, when we look at substances, we know that there's a difference between those and aggregates because for a substance, the whole is going to exist ontologically prior to the parts, whereas for aggregates, the parts exist and have their identity ontologically prior to the whole. 
let me explain what I mean by that. If I take a tire off of a car, it still remains a tire, which means its existence and identity as a tire is not necessarily tied or related to its connection to a car, which means for aggregates, you have to have the parts existing prior to the whole. But for something like me or a dog, a substance, you have the whole existing prior to the parts. If I were to chop off, or God forbid, not me, I'm not cool like that, but let's say a dog got in an accident and his tail was chopped off, is he still a dog? If the answer is yes, then it follows, first of all, that his existence and identity is not necessarily grounded in him possessing a tail, but we can even look further that when dogs, when puppies are born, they exist as dogs prior to the formation and development of all their parts, which means the dog exists as a whole prior to all of its parts uh, coming into being. Moreover, if a, if but you were to cut you, my hand off. But Eric, wouldn't you say that at some point the dog ceases to be a, a dog if the parts, if enough of the parts are gone? I mean, uh, if you have a car, let's say, and you keep taking off the tires and you keep taking out the seats and you keep taking out the engine, pretty soon all you are left with is a bunch of parts, but you're, you have no car. <clears throat> ah, so, so good. But no, you're talking about at that point, you're not, you're no longer talking about a substance. You're talking about an aggregate. And yes, as we've established earlier, an aggregate's existence and identity is necessarily grounded in its parts and structure. But that's not the same with me. So here's an argument but, that but, might help. But isn't, the, isn't that just an assertion that, that that's not the same with you? That's based on your, isn't that circular reasoning? Um, because you're assuming the, assuming the existence of the soul to justify the idea that you're not just a bunch of aggregates. Right. Well, the, if, if there would be any question begging, you'd, the person who's objecting would have to show me which uh, premise or which part they would disagree with. So this would have to be on whether or not uh, human beings are, whether or not personhood is divisible or not. So let me, let me unpack that. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, um, we're, we're coming up on a break here, Eric. So let's, okay, uh, sure. let's pick up on the next segment. Um, this is a super deep subject, but it's, I, I find it incredibly interesting. So um, I hope you do too. We're going to continue this discussion with Eric when we come right back. My guest is Eric Hernandez. You're on Educate for Life Radio. You can check him out at erichernandezministries.com. We'll be right back. Save money by taking good care of your car. Call Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside. Locally owned and operated since 1991 with all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers at ConoverTires.com. Dan and his team are proud to support Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. They even sell affordable, reliable used cars and enclosed trailers. Conover Tires, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard, 760-439-1631. Educate for Life helps you build your life on the rock. LG Equipment helps builders build on good soil. Luke Gibson's team at LG Equipment is your local source for grading, demolition, hauling, and more. Learn about their bulk water services from trucks to tankers to towers at rentwatertower.com. Get your questions answered. Call LG Equipment at 619-988-0924. Learn more at lgequipment.com. 619-988-0924. 
Life insurance is like a parachute. If you don't have it when you need it, it's too late. When your family faces a challenge, you don't want to face liability because you're uninsured or underinsured. Decades of San Diegans have trusted Jim Kelly of Kelly Insurance Agency and Allstate to insure homes, cars, businesses, and lives, no matter where they live throughout California. Your family's needs are always changing. Call to schedule a checkup today. Call Jim Kelly and his team right now. 619-562-9199. Hey, thanks for being with us today. I hope you're enjoying the program. I sure am. I think this might be the deepest subject I've ever covered on the radio program. Uh, very intense, but um, actually very important. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we take a surface approach to issues and, and we don't dive down deep. And sometimes you need to dive down deep because there's reasons why these subjects are important. And my guest today, Eric Hernandez, um, we've been talking about the existence of the soul and Eric, um, why should the average person care about the existence of the soul? Why does this even matter? Yeah, well, it, there have so many implications to whether or not the soul exists. There's a great book I'd recommend uh, called Body and Soul by J.P. Moreland and Scott B. Ray. Um, Body and Soul, Human Nature and the Crisis in Ethics. And it gives the arguments for the soul, but also gives the implication that it has to something like abortion, cloning, euthanasia, in vitro fertilization, all these implications it has dealing with what a person is. Now, before the segment, you know, you're, as an alleged objector, you accuse me of saying, how, how is that not question begging? Well, here's an argument that would help. Uh, and it's called the indivisibility of personhood. Now, personhood is a property that every human being possesses. We are persons. So we can state it this way. I'm either a purely physical object, an aggregate, or an immaterial soul. Now, purely physical objects can be divided in common percentages or degrees. Now, when we look at personhood, let me explain this first. Uh, the question ultimately becomes, is personhood a degreed or non-degreed property? Now, things like um, something that is soft or hard are what philosophers would call degreed properties, meaning they can go up or down, they can fluctuate, they can exist in percentages or degrees. So something that's soft can be softer, and something that's hard can be harder or softer. So these are things that can fluctuate. Now, contrast that with a non-degree property, like the property of being even. The number two and the number six are both even numbers, but it would make no sense to say that the number six is more even than the number two. And that's because the property of being even is a non-degree property. It's an all or nothing kind of thing. It either is or it isn't. Now, when we look at personhood, we ask the question again, is personhood a degreed or non-degree property? Well, it depends what your position is. Well, it doesn't depend, but your what you would take as a position would depend on your perspective. So if I were to ask you, if I were to, you were to chop off my arms and legs, am I still a person? And if your answer is yes, then it follows that I don't exist in percentages or degrees. I'm not 50% of a person, but contrast that with something like a table. If I cut a table in half, then it does make sense to say that I have 50% of a table. Now someone might say, okay, you know, but that's question begging, you know, what, does it make you 50% or whatnot? Or, or they might say, well, if, if your brain, if you took off parts of your brain, then yes, you would be less of a person. Well, there's something called Dandy Walker syndrome, where some people are actually born with maybe 90% of a brain or 50% of a brain, and their brain is, is largely just a cavity or has, has holes in them. Now, are these people still 100% persons? I would say, yes, they are. And someone <laughs> might say, but, but they don't function the same. And I would say, absolutely, they don't. 
that's also to point out the fact that my existence and identity is not necessarily dependent on my functioning. Yeah, but again, we're not looking at. But wouldn't you say, but wouldn't somebody say, look, that's, that's an assertion you're making. That's a, that's a philosophical assumption based on your worldview. God made uh, people in his image. Uh, You can, you can, you know, be, you can, you can not have all your arms and legs and still be considered a full person. But somebody else might say, no, 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 I don't believe in God. And I don't believe we were made in God's image. Therefore, uh, if you don't have all your arms and legs, to me, you're not a full person. And um, I mm-hmm. do, I do have uh, degrees of personhood. Um, is, sure. Yeah. And one thing I, and the first thing I'd say is, you know, show me where in my argument I brought up God or being made in the image of God. That wasn't part of my argument. These are philosophical arguments based on the metaphysics, which even some atheist philosophers would agree on. Um, and if someone's going to say that personhood is a degree property, then you're going to get into a slippery slope that slips really fast. If personhood is a degree property, then you would have to determine a person's value on personhood on the basis of their mass and matter. But the question is, does having more mass and matter mean that you matter more? So men are generally uh, larger uh, than women, but do men have more rights and personhood, and are they more uh, valuable than women? If your answer is no, then you cannot say that personhood is a great property. Yeah, if but, you're going to say yes... But what if ahead. somebody says, what if somebody says, look, um, it, it may not sound nice, but the reality is, is if you, you know, in, in, and this person could say, in my subjective opinion, um, a person's personhood is design, is determined by their functionality, uh, by what they're able to perform as a person. And, um, you are a greater person or whatever, um, you know, uh, maybe they have some arbitrary, um, de- decision about what they think. Uh, makes a person a full person. Could you, could you, um, other than making an assertion, is there an, a, a way you can make an assumption, regardless of the consequences, uh, that no, 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 you can either, you're either a full person or you're not. And it doesn't depend on how many arms and legs you have or your mass or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, I wouldn't say the, the, that uh, what I had said earlier was an assertion because there are some things I would say that are self evident, not, not assertions. And that if you reduce a position to its absurdity, then you have reason to, to dismiss it. But if the person, as you said, were to state it the way you stated, I would ask, well, please prove it. Uh, why, why think that personhood is a degree of property other than asserting that it is? Because um, then it just seems at this point, you're just trying to avoid the conclusion that there is a soul. So what reason would you have, let's say you're, you're playing that role, what reason would you have to believe that personhood is a degree of property? And if you do take it to be a degree of property, are men more valuable than women? Uh, so... So if I'm playing the devil's advocate here, I would say, um, yes, people are degreed properties and, uh, it, it's, um, very subjective whether a person is a full person or not. And it doesn't have to do with whether they're men or women. It has to do with, um, their, their aggregates, um, whether they have all their parts, whether they have all their function, uh, they have, uh, their hearing, their sight their ability to make judgments, uh, their intelligence, their mind, all these things determine okay. whether they're a person yeah. or not. So, well, well, being a physicalist, you can't say mind unless you just mean brain, then you Sorry, say brain, not brain. mind, because brain. mind would be immaterial. <laughs> you, got, you got me, brain. And then I would say, okay, could you please tell me at what point is a person a person, and at what point do they cease to be persons? Well, okay. So, um, I if I was... Uh, arguing here again, I'd say, well, it's subjective. So it's, it's a different judgment call that each person makes. 
um, well, that's, but that's that how I'm, not, I'm not asking your subjective position because whether whether or not you think it's subjective, there is an objective truth to it. In other words, there, if what you're saying is true, then there is a point at which someone becomes a person or ceases to be a person or is less of a person. And I'm asking what those conditions are. So I would argue as a non-believer, uh, I would argue that that is not um, something that can be known. It's not it's not objective. It's subjective. Um, so and and, and what, there is no what, what's subjective. Uh, what's subjective is the the um, determination of whether a person becomes a full human or not. Um, it's very what, yeah. Go ahead. But but that 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 wouldn't make sense to me because if you're going to say whether or not someone's a person is subjective, then what do you do when two subjects disagree? Then which one's right and which one's wrong? Well, regardless of of what you have to do in that case, it doesn't change the fact that it's subjective. So of course it does because if you say I'm a person. And the other guy next to you says, no, no, he's not a person because he doesn't, you know, he's not, you know, taller than six feet. Which one of you, obviously there's an objective truth to that. Well, the, the problem is, is that with abortion, for example, this is what happens all the time. So, uh, mm -hmm. so, so the non-believer says, no, 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 it's not a baby. Um, and it doesn't have the rights uh, that a full human does because it can't think complex thoughts. Therefore, mm -hmm. you know, and so all we do is we fight it out in the courts and whoever ends up uh, making yeah. the most persuasive <clears throat> arguments wins. So it's subjective. Yeah, but, but I could care less who wins at the courts. I want to know, ontologically speaking, what is true and not what people think would be true. Now, if we're going to go that route, I would also go as far as to say, OK, then if, if you're going to take that approach, then when you're sleeping, I have every right to kill you because when you're sleeping, you're not thinking complex thoughts. In fact, when you're dreaming, you're often thinking absurd thoughts that don't even make sense. So by your own standard, I can kill you if you're asleep. Well, <laughs> I don't think you should be able to kill, kill somebody uh, in that particular situation. I'm just saying that. Why not? Um, well, well, regardless, I don't think it proves that the soul exists is what I'm saying. Oh, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just following. We're not even talking about the soul at this point. We're talking about your position. And if this is your position, then I just want to see if you're going to be consistent or not. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I don't think a person should be killed if we're talking about abortion, right? Um, so, so I guess I want to get back to the, the issue of the soul, but I want to, mm -hmm. uh, but I want to say, um, that, uh, it, it, so I guess it, it seems like it's begging the question because it's a matter of, um, okay, the consequences are dictating the reality of whether the soul exists or not, not uh, the reality dictating the consequences. So, so right, I, and I wouldn't say the cons consequences are dictated. I'm saying the consequences uh, lend uh, evidence and credibility to the existence of the soul because I think it is self-evident that whether I lose. So every if you're going to go with a physical position that your existence and personhood is necessarily dependent on your physical makeup and parts, then when you scratch your arm, you lose flakes of you know of skin cells then you're technically less of a person than what you were before. Now, I would say that's obviously a, an absurd position. And then what we talked about in the beginning, identities do change. Let me ask you this. Suppose um, it's, it's said that every seven to 10 years, we replace virtually every cell in our body. Now, suppose I commit a, a murder seven to 10 years ago, but they just now find the evidence and the police come to my door and they knock and say, we just found the evidence that you know, seven to 10 years ago, we know you murdered somebody. And I say, officer, time out. Don't you know there's no soul and we're just physical brains and bodies composed of parts. And that person that you're looking for that committed the murder no longer exists, but good luck to find him because he's not around. He doesn't exist anymore, but that wasn't me. 
do you think that would fly in court? Well, no, I don't think it would fly in court. But I think that essentially so, what's happening is it's duplicating itself. So you can still call it you because it's essentially. No, you can't. <laughs> it's duplicating an identical version of you, essentially, with all the same. And what does that matter? Well, you're guilty. It's still you. <laughs> Not me. No, no. When you say me, you're talking about me, the person. But me, the person didn't exist. The one that committed the murder. That was a different set of parts and properties that no longer exist. Well, we have no other method. You, 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 the, uh, there's still a connection between your thoughts, your memories, and the fact that you do that. You did that. That's true. So, okay, I see what you're saying. I see where you're going with this. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, my guest today is Eric Hernandez. Um, it, it's, a, it's a very complex argument here. Very interesting to me. Uh, and so we're going to have one more segment left and we're going to stop arguing and I'm just going to ask him questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, Eric Hernandez ministries.com. Uh, and if you want more of this, because there's no way we have time to cover everything there is to cover about this subject in this short amount of time. But if you want more of this kind of stuff, check him out. YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash Eric mm -hmm. Hernandez. And there's all kinds of resources there. You can check him out, pick his brain. And um, and get more information. And he recommended a book by J.P. Moreland, Body and Soul. Also a great resource to check out. One more segment. We'll be right back. Luke Gibson of LG Equipment supports Educate for Life with Kevin Conover. Luke grew up in the construction industry and now serves LG's commercial and residential customers throughout Southern California. Whether you need grading, paving, hauling, demolition, on-site bulk water service, water trucks, tankers, and towers, call LG Equipment at 619-998-0924. Learn more at lgequipment.com. 619-998-0924. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Life insurance is like a parachute. If you don't have it when you need it, it's too late. When your family faces a challenge, you don't want to face liability because you're uninsured or underinsured. Decades of San Diegans have trusted Jim Kelly of Kelly Insurance Agency and Allstate to insure homes, cars, businesses, and lives, no matter where they live throughout California. Your family's needs are always changing. Call to schedule a checkup today. Call Jim Kelly and his team right now. 619-562-9199. Thanks for being with us here on Educate for Life Radio, um, broadcasting from our studios down here in San Diego. We're on FM 106.1, North County, K Praise, and AM 1210, and uh, Southern California. And we've got all kinds of amazing shows up on YouTube, uh, interviews with scientists, uh, geologists, paleontologists, geneticists, 
all talking about the existence of God. Um, incredible uh, people, as well as skeptics. I've interviewed uh, physicist Lawrence Krauss, uh, who says that the universe came from nothing. I've interviewed uh, Dan Barker, um, who says that uh, God can't exist because of the amount of evil in the world, and many other um, skeptics who have different positions. My guest today, though, is um, a Bible-believing Christian who's studied the existence of the soul uh, pretty extensively. His name's Eric Hernandez, and uh, has got. Uh, you can check him out on his website, erichernandezministries.com. So, Eric, uh, just picking up where we left off last time, I'm not going to argue with you anymore because um, you've, you've uh, proved me wrong here several times. So, But um, what... Uh, how does free will justify the existence of this, the soul? Yeah, so uh, good question. So first, let's look at what free will is. I would define free will as uh, being the, uh, the originator or source of your will or actions. So essentially, you're a first mover. So let me use this analogy to explain that. Suppose uh, I murder someone uh, with a gun. Now, technically, it was the bullet that penetrated the person's heart. So technically, it was the bullet that killed them. But we don't blame the bullet because we know that the bullet didn't act on its own, but was caused to act by something external and prior to itself. So we go one step back and we look at the gun. Do we blame the gun? No, for the same reason. Instead, we, we prosecute and put the person in jail because we assume that this person was the first mover in this causal chain of events, and the gun and bullet were merely secondary movers and not the first mover. Now, uh, if this is the case, then you would need to be the, the source of the chain of events, but I would argue that can only happen if you are more than a physical brain and body. <clears throat> to use an illustration Aristotle used, he said, if I move a rock with the staff, then my staff moved the rock, my hand moved the staff, but what moved me? Now, I've asked uh, non-believers and physicalists this question, and essentially they only have two options. Someone can say, okay, look, I understand you have to be the first mover to have free will, and I can explain what moved my hand by saying a neuron in my brain fired that caused my hand to move. And they say, therefore, it, it was still within me. I was the first mover, so therefore I, I have free will. And I say, well, time out. If there is no God and atheism is true, then the law of causal closure would be true, which is a law that would state that every physical event necessarily must have a prior physical cause. Now, if a neuron firing in the brain is a physical event, then you still have to explain that physical event by a prior physical cause. So I say, okay, then all you did was push back the goalposts. What made that neuron firing fire? Now, here's where they have two options. They can say another neuron firing fire made the first neuron firing fire. But then you ask again, well, what made that neuron firing fire? What made that one? And so forth. Now, that can't be an explanation because you're essentially going to get into an infinite regress and the action of moving the staff to move the rock would never occur which means since you can't stay within just your brain and neurons firing, you're essentially going to at some point have to leave the brain and say that something external and prior to yourself caused something within you that caused that neuron firing to fire and make the hand move to make the staff move to make the rock move. But at this point, you have then gone external to yourself, which means you're no longer the first mover. You are now a secondary mover. And if we don't blame the gun or bullet for the murder, neither can we blame the person if the person, just like the gun and bullet, we're merely secondary movers and not primary movers in the chain of events. So if free will does exist, you have to be more than a brain and body, which would be something like a soul that transcends the physical, that can act on the physical and act as a source of that movement and that will. So, I mean, that's a really powerful argument. How does a materialist respond to that? I mean, uh, obviously, you wouldn't be able to blame anybody for any crime that was ever committed if physicalism or if materialism was true. How do they respond to you when you make that point? Hello, hello. 
yeah. Oh. Repeat that last part. Oh, sorry. Um, how do the, how does somebody who is a materialist respond to you when you make that mm-hmm. point that um, you couldn't you couldn't blame anybody, you couldn't convict anybody for any crime that was ever committed? If um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, and let me know if you can hear me still. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so how would they respond? They would respond however they were causally determined to respond. They couldn't have been otherwise. No, I'm joking. Uh, so, yeah. So here they would have to essentially bite the bullet uh, and say that there is no free will. And really, I, I mean, I think there's, in my opinion, this is a checkmate. Now, what they can do is they'll just say, well, I don't believe in free will. And I'll say, okay, fair enough. And you're also going to say that you can't hold no one responsible. And they might say, well, technically, no, I can, but we're still going to lock them up because that's all we can do. Now, the problem with that is, as you said, you can't hold anyone responsible. But clearly, I, I think it's, again, one of those self-evident things that we, we know we can hold people responsible. But here's another thing. <clears throat> if there's no free will, and here's what tickles me, I talked to a, a lot of non-believers. In fact, one in particular, I thought it was interesting that he said he came to be, he became an atheist because one of the things he realized was that free will didn't exist because we we're just physical things. And as he began to explain it to me, I, I said, well, time out. I said, so you're, you're an atheist, and you, it seems like you take pride in this. He said, yeah, I do, because I'm no longer brainwashed you know, by religion. I can think for myself. I'm a free thinker. I said, okay, so everything that you believe now, did you freely come to believe that? He said, yes. I said, but you don't believe there's free will. He said, no. And you freely came to believe that? He said, yes. And I just kind of paused <laughs> and let it sink in. And, he, and he's kind of like, well, well, yeah, you got a point. I'm like, well, I haven't made a point. I just asked a question. Now, essentially, of course, he got the, the, the problem is that if there is no free will, then no non-believer atheist could ever take intellectual pride or rational responsibility for coming to the conclusions they come to, which means their belief that atheism is true is no more rational than the religious nut who's yelling on the street corner. Both of them have came to that conclusion on the basis of random processes and chemicals firing in their brain. Neither one of them could take pride or responsibility for their beliefs. Which means I tell non-believers, if you think people should be held responsible for their uh, uh, actions, and if you think you freely came to the conclusion that there is no God because you are a free thinker who follows the evidence where it leads, then the soul must exist, and we can go further. If the soul exists, I would say that God must exist. So if you're not going to believe that, you know, if, if you're going to say there is no soul, you can't believe in free will, and you can't take pride in being an atheist, and you can't hold anyone rationally responsible or morally responsible for what they do. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, uh, I, I, I find that argument incredibly compelling for the existence of God, for the existence of a spirit, and so forth. So a question about that, when we get into the metaphysics of this, you know, one of the issues that's come up is, um, what is the relationship? How does a immaterial uh, soul Im- impact a physical body, and how does this affect things like mental disorders? Like, what's the relationship between schizophrenia and the soul and body? Right. Yeah, good questions. Uh, so, so to the first question you asked... Um, this is where, so there's, there's something needed that would be helpful to understand here. So the first thing is whether or not the soul exists is an ontological question of, of being. Does this, is this thing exist or not? The question you asked of how does a immaterial affect the non-physical, affect the physical, is an epistemic question of how something works. Now, the first thing to note is I can give arguments for the soul and establish that the soul exists, even if I cannot ask the epistemic question of how it is that the soul interacts with the body. So not being able to answer the second question doesn't invalidate the former, namely the soul exists. After all, I drive my car, and if I don't know anything about cars, it doesn't mean I can't drive the car. It just means I know my car exists. I can drive it. I just don't know how it works. Um, Another thing to add to that is I think we do see non-physical things affecting the physical, like, and again, this this 
goes a bit into a tangent, but I know Moreland talks about it in his book. You look at things like magnets, uh, 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 things of that nature that are not physical, but can affect the physical. On top of that, I would say that it, it is what in philosophy we would call a, a primitive action, a, a basic action. In other words, there's nothing more to be unpacked than to say that A directly causes B. Because essentially, what the person is asking is, how does A cause B? Give me the intermediate mechanism. And I say, okay, let's say A causes B via C. Well, all that does is push back the goalposts. Then you say, okay, but how does A interact with C to cause B? Okay, well, let's, let's throw in another one. There's an infinite regress. So at some point, there is going to have to be a, a primitive base where you just say A directly causes B, even if we metaphysically can't explain how. And I think it's, it's one of those basic actions that you don't need to keep positing intermediate mechanisms. I think it's fair to say that A just directly causes B because we have a lot of good evidence for the soul. And we know that these um, immaterial things exist, of course, on the assumption or rather on the basis of my arguments being true. And again, we barely scratched the surface there. So yeah, it, yeah. I see what you're yeah. saying. That makes sense. Well, um, and then real quick, because we're just about out of time here. Um, how do you respond to somebody who says, well, what about when somebody has uh, some sort of mental disorder like schizophrenia uh, or something yeah. like that? There you go. Uh, what, yeah. What's going on there? Yeah. So um, it, in the story I gave about my professor, know that that was his objection to the soul. Now, we talked about Leibniz's law of identity, and the only way to establish that two things in question are the same is via Leibniz's law of identity. But note that the relationship of identity is different than a cause or effect relationship or a dependent relationship. Here's what I mean by that. Um, cause and dependence are not the same thing as identity. So suppose I'm the world's greatest guitar player. Um, and you hand me a guitar, and let's say I pop a string. And because I pop, the string is popped, I, I am no longer able to play the music on the guitar. Does it follow that, therefore, I am a guitar? No, no of course not. That, no, that's, yeah. that's ridiculous. Now, but what it does establish, it establishes that there is a cause and effect or dependent relationship between myself and the guitar. Now, also, here's a pet peeve of mine. When Christians say, oh, you know, it's in my brain, or, you know, well, I had it in my brain a while ago, or, you know, this guy, because the brain is not the same thing as the mind, and this is one of the things I, I speak against, is that the, this naturalistic position has even infiltrated our church. I like to do this when I teach on the soul. I say uh, uh, that, I ask people, what part of your body thinks? And it's a trick question. They point to the brain, and I say, okay, do you need a brain to think? They say yes. And then I say, does God have a brain? And everybody gets quiet. <laughs> I said, well, no, he doesn't because yeah. we're not Mormons, right? Yeah, <laughs> God's yeah. incorporeal. He doesn't have a brain. Does God think? Yes. And I say, oh, well, how is it that you go to a secular society, which, you know, allegedly there's a separation of church and state. So rather than bring up any spiritual religious stuff, let's not talk about the soul. Let's just reduce everything to the brain and be neutral. Well, that's not being neutral. That's reductionistic. And that's being a naturalist. Mm. And yet we go to a society which teaches us our brain thinks. Then we go to a church and worship a God who has no brain and thinks just fine, and we never let these two beliefs come together. Because as you said earlier, we do not think deeply about these important issues sometimes, and that's mm -hmm. unfortunate. Now, back to the question. So I have no problem saying there's a cause and effect relationship between a, a, a musician and a guitar, uh, but that doesn't mean they're the same thing, and neither does it mean that something like my mind or thoughts are in my brain. If I pop guitar strings on my guitar, it doesn't follow that if I broke the guitar open, I can take the note C out of it because the note C is not inside the guitar, although my ability to play the note C is dependent and cause and affected by a proper working guitar. The same thing would, would apply with the uh, mind and the brain. Um, my soul uses my brain as an instrument, much like a guitar. Now, what's interesting here is that while we 
for sure know that the physical can affect the material, such as brain damage causing memory loss. We also know that the, the reverse is true. It's a two-way causal street. Cognitive behavioral therapy, and when you look at neuroplasticity, we have seen that you can change the chemistry of your brain by changing the way you think. And that, that's a whole other kind of worms that I'm sure we won't have time to get into. But essentially, uh, there's a guy named Jeffrey Schwartz. He's a neuroscientist and has, done, has gotten grants to do research on this. And as a leading uh, scientist in this area, who he gives his patients who have OCD and anxiety, he tells them, you know, here's a uh, prescription, if you will. When you get these kind of thoughts, they're called mental traps. And I think anyone who suffers with anxiety or depression should look these up, mental traps. And when you, get, when you fall into these mental traps, follow these steps of thinking and learn to combat the thoughts that are, logic, that are causally imposed on you by your brain. And after about a few months, what he does is he looks at the brain and he scans it prior to them doing cognitive behavior therapy. So many months later, he scans the brain again, and he has found that with, with his patients, the chemistry of their brain has changed and some of their neurons have rewired because they have begun to think contrary to what their brain is imposing on them, which means in order for this to even be possible, you would have to be something more than a brain and body in order to counteract the thoughts that your brain are trying to give you, which means you would have to have something like an immaterial soul that can causally affect the physical brain and chemistry um, neurons that are wired together. Wow, that is so interesting. That is really, really cool. Eric, thanks so much for being on the program today. Uh, that was uh, really intense. And um, hey, would you be interested in ever doing a follow-up program? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, because I feel like there's so much more to cover on this subject, and I think it is very important, although it is um, stuff that we don't typically talk about on a regular basis. Uh, the reality is is that uh, understanding these things, I think, has a very big impact on the way we live, the way we think, the way we act, and the way we mm. are able to represent Christ to the rest of the world. So uh, thanks again for being on the show. My guest was Eric Hernandez. You can check him out, erichernandezministries.com. I hope you enjoyed the program, and I do think we'll have him on again in the future, so uh, stay tuned. You can uh, follow us on our Facebook page. You can follow us on YouTube, and uh, you can also sign up uh, for our regular newsletter on educateforlife.org. And I look forward to being with you again next time. I hope you have a great Friday and a great weekend. God bless you. Take care. Did you miss part of today's program? Don't worry. We're committed to helping you get the info you need. Okay, that was dumb. But for real, visit educateforlife.com for podcasts and video recordings of the show and to sign up for the School of Unshakable Faith. Leave us your comments, compliments, questions, or concerns at 800-243-97.